0: Well, here we are. Here we are. Welcome, Welcome back. back. Oh, Welcome look at that. Welcome back. I, Episode... just, I stepped on it. I, I should let you. That's your, that's your part of the bit. And I'm not. I'm stepping it's, on it. Man. It's all good. It's all good, you know? Scott. It's all good.
1: You know, they, they, our listeners expect this from us. Yeah, they... but I'm
0: working, I'm working on my patience, Ollie. I'm trying not to talk over other people. I'm trying to, to be a good listener.
1: Well, I've always I known that about you that you are a good listener. I mm. but I am impressed that you're working on it to even be better. Thank so you. That, That's very sweet. Yeah, so here we are episode 46. 46. You know, we're we're getting close to 1 year of doing this together. That's we pretty are. cool. Yeah. It is.
0: Yeah, we 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 have um well, we have a couple months, but we could I I you know, I I don't see any reason why this is not going right. to go through a full year. Right. So. We're there. We're there. We're there. We're basically there. It's I like just, when you say summer's over on July fourth. It's like you're basically there. We're basically yeah.
1: a year. Yes. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Look yeah, at
0: that. Yeah. Summer's over in a week. That's awesome.
1: It's not over in a week at all. <laughs> it's just it's just beginning, you know?
0: Well, yeah, we're just, you know, we're just barely into official summer. Right. Yeah. Yes. So
1: so this episode will be someplace in July, July. Fourteenth ish, so so if you're listening to this, you know, welcome back, glad to have you here.
0: Welcome back, here we are. And so
1: we've you know spent the last I don't know five six episodes talking about learning theories, and you know we've explored some stuff. We've explored some you know John Dewey, Jay Lemke, you know, yeah, Jay Boy. (laughs) Are these are all friends of the show? Oh, not all of of them. Not all of them are friends of the Mm. show. Mm, Uh, Maybe, mm, yeah. We we, all want to be friends of the show. They do. We did some. Cognitive and stuff, right? Did some yes. discourse, you know, and we, we, uh, kind of waded into the, the, the learning progression stuff in the yep. last episode. So, yep. Concept- you know,
0: you skipped over conceptual change, which I, I appreciate
1: Right. I, I thought you would. Um, although I think learning progressions are just a, a rebranding. It's like, hey, let's bring that back. Let's bring yeah. it back. It's yeah. like, it's, well, you it's know,
0: not, it, it never went it's, away. It's, There's no bringing it back.
1: It's new Coke. That's what it is. It's new Coke. That's right. It's new Coke. <laughs> yeah. Uh. yeah. So what we thought we'd do today was to kind of wrap up these, this like segment on learning theories. I, I think what we, we, how do we want to frame this? Why should we care? Like, why right. should a teacher care? Right. Well, Who, not.
0: Yeah. Why not? Why should we care? Because we care right. loads. I, we, I care. I care a lot.
1: We do care a lot. And this is stuff that you and I you know, spend a lot of time with our students, our future teacher educators. I mean, our, our future teachers. Right. As yeah. teacher educators, we are really concerned about this. But why? Why should we care? Why, why should, should they care? care? Why should they care? Why should teachers care? Why should our students care? I mean, why come should on. the general public care? Right. That's a really good point too. Why should they care too? Like, why should we care about like how, how people learn? I mean, we would at this, you know, at this learning thing for, you know, millennia. And so why should we really care about like how it happens just that we should just, you know, it happens.
0: Well, yeah, there's nothing wrong with schools. So let's just keep going.
1: Right. So what we thought we'd do is just to, you know, I don't know, talk about why, why teachers should care and why schools should care and why the citizen citizenry that's i just awkward i ah, that was awkward yeah, that, was that was bad dead. you want to try yeah. it
0: again click no, okay no, no another no. you don't want another go at
1: it no yeah. i don't think so um so yeah, why yeah. the
0: citizenry should care
1: thank you friend yep. um why they should care yeah. and so um i don't know I, I i jotted down some ideas like why i thought they should care and you know okay. maybe so Yeah, I'll
0: say I'll say one more thing in prelude before, and then you can jump in with your with your uh, bulleted list of reasons why we should care. It's not bulleted uh, list. It's just it a numbered it's list. Is it a no. numbered list? No, no. Just, just some just jottings. Jottings. Just some l- little notes. Little notes <clears throat> to yourself.
1: Yeah, self.
0: Yeah. Very nice. Note, Note to self. Note to self. Um, and and what I'll say is, um, you know, we've talked about this a number of times, but you know, you and I met when you were in my learning theory class right i've been so i 've been teaching that class basically every year sometimes more than once a year since two thousand and four right which it's it, that 's a while it's it's twenty twenty one now so so that's uh that's many years yes. um, and i've also you know been teaching teachers in that time but but I think the thing that I am continually astonished by is um, one, how deeply ingrained our notions of learning are, our theories of learning, like how how built into so much of the way that we talk and the way that we act, even right. if we're not teachers, even if we're just like, you know, man or woman on the street, person on the street. Um, there are so many decisions we make every day that are based on our theory of learning that is totally implicit that we haven't considered. So that's the first one. And then the second one is how... Um, difficult it is to shift that that fundamental theory of learning and um and yet how superficially so many people think they've managed it right they're like oh yeah i get it now i got yeah right. i'm a i'm a community of practice person i'm a i'm a sociocultural learning theory person and then you look at how they behave in the world and you say well actually no you know, you're, pro- you're not you're pro- right you may understand the theory uh, on some intellectual level but you haven't enacted it in the world yet
1: yeah. You, you talk the talk, you don't walk the walk. Yes. Yes. Right? And I, I think I, I, so that's a really good place to start because I think that one, I think there's a certain concern for me around um, consumers. Right. And how consumers are, you know, cause a, a theory of learning is going to impact like how, you know, the average citizen mm-hmm. is going to like, buy apps or buy books or teach their kids or, Mm. you know, so there's a part of that that I think is really critical. And so I think there's this sort of like false sense of how people learn things. And I think that, you Mm. know, when we, um, when we sort of commercialized learning, right and there it has become more commercial now sure. than ever before right yeah because you can learn you can learn anything on an app quote unquote learn anything right. on an app you know from from language to you know i don't know those these yeah, brain
0: master class yeah, you know right. not a sponsor of our show but not okay, a sponsor
1: like, yes not as great yet. lectures like the great lectures right you can you can Buy these great lectures i mean it 's every week in the New York Times they have a big ad for, "Hey, buy a great lectures yep. or you know i can 't tell you the number of master class things that come up on my social media feed so there 's this
0: Khan academy
1: Khan yeah. Academy right, and so what it 's done is it 's created sort of like this consumer model of learning that is built upon not strong learning theory or not at least the learning theory that we're proposing right or the things that we put yeah. into action it's, so i it's think based that's based on a
0: different model yeah
1: right right and, and a a model that i mean may apply to i don't know i i don't want to say t- training dogs but i'll say that Ooh, I'll throw wow. that out there okay. like i would train my dog from and i know that's really that's you know that's that's really confrontational right there and i right. get that but um But I think that we, in teaching more conceptual type of things, we have, like, science requires something different, right? If we're teaching science, Mm -hmm. which is a uh, conceptually based content, you know, subject that requires deep understanding to be able to apply that in lots of settings and lots of discourse settings, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so we're going to be talking about scientific concepts in lots of different places and applying them in lots of different places that requires that you know it's not just call and response mm-hmm. right yeah and, but i
0: but i think that's true in every discipline i mean i think this right. is the thing that you know your art teacher um friend has said to us and and that all i think all people when we i mean any context we think about learning whether it's in school or not like we don't want we would for the most part unless we're talking about like a trivia event like trivia right. night at the local bar like what you would say is i want people to actually understand this thing whatever this thing is it could be science it could be some uh you know it could be a a novel they're reading it could be whatever right but but the point is we want them to understand it now what understanding means is a whole another kettle of fish but but the point is that you know nobody says I want them to memorize this and not actually know what it means. Like nobody has that as a goal for people. Um, so, uh, so I think that's you know worth putting out there that um, that you know we don't we all speak as though this is a goal that we have that we want kids to actually deeply and richly understand the things that we're helping them learn that said most of the way that we teach them and most of the way that we behave around them doesn't support that as as an outcome and that's like that leads really nicely into my my
1: second point right so we talked a little Already bit about to your the, second point we are at my second point i didn't even
0: no, i didn't even notice your first point it was so was beautifully the, integrated into the conversation
1: what was around that whole consumerism you know
0: right. okay nice
1: the the uh, commercialization of mm. learning right yeah Um, and what that, how that's branded and how it's sold and how it's packaged and, you know, Hey, you take these, you know, if you use these apps daily, your brain's going to get better or you're going to get smarter or brain
0: gymnasium. Right.
1: And there's a ton of them out there, right. That you could just, you know, spend 10 minutes a day and you can do this and, you know, yeah, that's, that to me is, is point one, I think, that's, you know, critical for us to talk about learning theory, not just with teachers, but also with parents and with our students and with the community at large. And so that's point one from my point of view. Um, I think point two, from my perspective, is that it really informs, like, understanding how people learn informs how we see teaching right? It's not that necessarily. And, and I think that specifically, it informs the role of the teacher, the role of the students, and what the learning space looks like. And these are the things we've tried to talk about before when we were talking about, you know, designing learning spaces and things like that. But I think that what it does is how you view learning sort of informs, doesn't sort of, it does inform what your role as the teacher is, what you see the student's role is, and how you are going to organize learning space. And I think that's really a critical thing, because it's like, what do you, what do you believe? Or what do you think, like, it's not just what, what does the data say? Or what does the research say about how people learn? And how are you going to use that to design your learning space to really, afford the roles afford the roles of teachers and students that you think is uh, it follows from that
0: yeah <clears throat> it's absolutely the case and and the but there's a there's an interesting tension between learning and teaching right and learning theory and and how it, it right. gives you it informs teaching in the sense that like one of the classics is like okay now i have a sociocultural view on learning i'm going to put my kids in groups it's like well that that's that's not really getting at it, right? Because because it isn't putting the kids in groups. I mean, it's a step. Um, it's it's like saying, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the you know to to connect to learning spaces. I'm gonna put the seats in my auditorium so that they can turn, so that people right. can turn and talk to each other. It's like, okay, well, I mean, it's it's rearranging the, the right. deck chairs on the it's Titanic. It's a step in the right direction. It's, it's
1: step. a step. It's a step in the right direction. though. yeah, I mean, it's it.
0: something. It's better than nothing, right. but but i think what what is clear from what we've been talking about uh for the last 46 episodes 45 episodes <laughs> is that it's it's not the putting the kids in groups it's what are the kids talking about how right. are they talking when they're in the groups? How does the teacher talk to them when they're in groups? So it's not putting them in groups that magically makes you a, a sociocultural theorist uh, or, a, or a teacher who's, whose practice is informed by those kinds of theories. It, it's, it, it's deeper than that, and it's much deeper than that. So, so that sort of being analytical uh, about how you talk is really where we're at in terms of where it impacts practice.
1: Yeah, so I, let, I'm going to have an aside here, but I, it does it does connect. So one of the things, you know, we both work in instructional technology to a degree, probably me mm-hmm. a little bit more than you, but, you mm-hmm. know. And I will say the one thing that, um, one of the things that drives me crazy about working in that field and working so closely with that field is that we get really focused on the technology, right? We get really focused on the thing, And so I will go to conferences and people will be like, okay, hey, here's, you know, all these apps or here's all these things, right, that you can use in your classroom. And it's really just focusing on the tool and not what kids are doing with the tool. Yeah. And so when I talked to this and and, you know, maybe about like five or 10 years ago, this was much more prevalent. And I think it still is to a certain degree now is I'll talk to someone and they're like, hey, I'm blogging with my students or I'm you know using X with my students. And my next question is, well, what are you doing with that? What are you doing right. like? And. And it's like well i'm having them blog or i'm having them do this no no, no right. r- really like what do you have them do and that's the critical part is cuz it's not just like you know it's not the tool it's like like how does that support learning and and i think that's really a, uh, the critical next step is not just i uh, put them in groups or hey i'm using blogs or hey i have i have like i'm teaching online right yeah. some of those online courses i've seen and i work a lot in online learning is just they're not they're again call and response type of thing so it's like you know well,
0: and and to your point i mean it it's not the tool it's the practice right yes and right. so that's and that's the thing we keep talking about too right and and a big part of any practice is the talking if yeah. we're talking about learning stuff so so that is yeah absolutely this this idea that like generic tools somehow tell you something about the practice is completely bananas right i mean you know again it's like uh, if we make the analogy to to physical tools and my favorite physical tool the hammer um yes yes, you know all the hammers i know all the hammers all all of them and uh you know if, if we said hey you know i'm doing a construction project and i'm doing a lot of hammering it's like okay that sounds awesome. What are you hammering? It's like, well, what do you mean what am I hammering? I'm just hammering stuff, man. I'm hammering walls, I'm hammering floors, I'm hammering my kids. It's like, wait, 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 wait. So, um, so this idea of like the tool is somehow tells you something about the practice is is um is a little crazy. But again, there's this complexity to it, right? Because and and we've talked about this, but certain tools afford certain practices and yeah. and constrain other practices. So you can't use a hammer for everything. So by choosing that tool, you have limited the number of practices that you can do with it. And you've also made some practices very easy. Um, So when when you pick a tool, when you pick, Google Docs as a tool for your kids to use or blogs for your kids to use, you have constrained what they can do uh, and you have afforded certain other things. But that all that's done is change the the sort of conceptual space that they're working in, right? It hasn't yet defined what the practice is. And the practice is, as you said, it's what they're doing. So right. now you've said what, they, what the tool allows them to do. But then within that, there's lots of range of options about what they actually do do. And and you as a teacher have to define that well, otherwise it's it's just using the tool. You said doo-doo. Did I? Yeah. Did I say doo doo or poo poo?
1: You said doo-doo. I just okay. that was a, a a middle school boy moment for yeah, me. I apologize. Poop,
0: we poo poo is a recurring character. But doo-doo
1: has just made its first appearance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Doo-doo's first appearance. Yes. A, a title.
1: A title <laughs> right there. Doo doo's first appearance. <laughs> Uh. yeah well the other thing and i i this is a underdeveloped you know item on my list is Mm. um you know i i will say the first time i came to your class and we talked about epistemology i was like okay Uh. when am i ever going to need this word when am it's when am i ever going to need this word and and but now i i recognize you know that epistemology is so inherent in how people view the wor- world. And, mm-hmm. and so it doesn't just, uh, you know, I, we talked a little bit about the consumerism aspect and we talked about, you know, how it impacts, you know, our role, of the teacher, the role of the, and the role of the practice and what the practice of students, right? So what mm-hmm. are the students doing and, and what are we doing in the learning space? But I think that it also really, it's almost, epistemologically like our understanding of learning impacts how we see the rest of the world. Right. And I know that's really, that's like Mm -hmm. delusions of grandeur maybe, but Mm -hmm. I will say that I liken it to, you know, our understandings of science in terms of, you know, you know, are we a sun centered solar system or are we an earth centered solar system? I liken it to that. I mean, it's that grand that how we view, people and how they learn is really critical to to everything we do from parenting to you know funding of schools to Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it all it all and Mm -hmm. so i know that's really large but i think it colors how you see the world and how Mm -hmm. you and how you see the problems in the world and the systemic problems in the world
0: yeah Absolutely. And, and I, I do tend to gloss epistemology and learning theory together because just to be clear, um, for those of you who aren't philosophers, uh, epistemology is, is a, is a philosophical term that talks about ways of knowing and what it means to know and, and how we come to say that we know something, um, so those systems of course are related to learning because learning is a changing in a state of knowing, right? I I know one, I know one thing or I know nothing and then I know something new. That's a that is what learning is defined as and that's a shift in knowing or a delta delta knowing, right? If we're but, being physics nerds. I know. Yeah, right? Nice so work. Yeah, so that's so so um did epistemology I, and learning theory are the same are for me are basically the same thing. When we're t- talking about this stuff
1: right and 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 what i'm i i guess I'm looking at it from this way of like it's a subset or it's an application of epistemology because like there's yeah. lots of like epistemology is you know you know also can be applied to like how you view science or how you view you know other like relationships and mm-hmm. you know because i think it like there are multiple things to know and ways of knowing those things we know right, right. so um so learning theory is a thing we know but i think yeah. that it's absolutely like because i i get how you're connecting the two because it's like if you think that there's just a right way right mm-hmm. like which is what you and i would not argue for right there right. then you're epistemologically gonna see the world a certain way, right? right. And and you're gonna see learning from a certain point of view too. Um yeah. Yeah, so I see how that I I see how you're connecting it, but I don't think that the way I'm presenting it is out of bounds, right? No, I no,
0: I was agreeing with you. I was okay. I was I was not disagreeing with you. I was just trying to say You know, for most people, epistemology seems like this sort of unattainable philosophical, or like you, when you first started, it's like, what is this nonsense word? Like, what? Who cares about this? So, what I'm trying to do is say, for our purposes, what we're talking about when we're talking about epistemology is, is learning. Like, how do you know something and how does that knowing change based on your experience? Um, and that is that is grounded in some epistemology that you have it, it that is implicit about what you think it means to know something and what it means for that knowing to change. And, you know, for for me, the next bullet on my list related to that is this idea of um knowledge being abstracted from its context, right? So one of the big differences for me that is different between cognitive sort of, for our purposes, conceptual change models of learning and sociocultural um, models of learning is that sociocultural models of learning are, are grounded in the idea that knowledge essentially cannot be usefully abstracted from its context. It always exists in a context. Um, and, and cognitive theories, um, have this idea that knowledge can be decontextualized and can be meaningful outside of context or, or there is this complexity, as you've mentioned of transfer, like, okay, I've learned it in context one. How do I, is it abstracted appropriately for me to move to somewhere else? And that's a very, um, high level theoretical meaning for that. But, But if we ground that more specifically in in schools, it it really becomes complicated. Because if we say, okay, well, F equals MA means something only in context. Well, that makes assessing that a lot more complicated, right? Because you can't just say like, what is Newton's first law and have them write F equals MA. And you're like, okay, they understand. They know it. it. They know it. Yes. Yes because it 's because the context of that is that they 're writing down those letters in, a, in an exam that asks them to reproduce those letters essentially, so if we say well that what that says is that they can remember that those letters are matched to this phrase newton 's first law, um, and that 's all it tells us because that 's what the test tells us. Um, then we have an assessment problem, right? Because now we have to say, well, if we really want to know if students understand, and this goes back to this understanding thing, then we have to see them do something where where they're explicitly and implicitly using F equals ma to do something in the world, right? And and that becomes a lot harder, right? So. Ask a kid to explain something about, you know, a ball in a wagon, right? To use a classic Feynman example, that one's of inertia, but like why when a ball, if you put the ball in the front of a wagon and then you pull the wagon, why does it look like the ball rolls to the back of the wagon? Um, So explain that using Newton's laws, that's, you're beginning to get at, at, an application is how cognitive folks would talk about it, but what we would say is that's that's a real context. Now, now we're we're talking about something that's meaningful. So that shift from seeing knowledge as abstracted or not um, that makes a huge difference in the way that we think about schools. It goes back to our idea about why we care about kids' ideas because kids' ideas are contextual. They're they're in in the moment, and so we need we need those ideas as part of a, a a learning context because because just telling them some abstracted thing doesn't help them learn the thing
1: yeah and and i will say this i i think i'm as we are emerging out of this pandemic and we're mm-hmm. starting to see you know people making sense of this past year and learning from this past year i think one of the things that i'm i'm seeing is that there's uh at least some dissonance that are happening with with teachers and administrators, because, you know, one of the, a lot of schools, what they did was in this mad rush to move things online. They just bought curriculum from mm-hmm. these you know big and we might have talked about this in another episode, but yeah. uh, but I think it applies here is that. So and this uh, was especially true at the elementary settings. So in the K to five settings, they bought content and and that's what they purchased. Content. Mm-hmm. They yeah. bought content that was really abstracted from any conversations or any. So it was isolating. It was isolating for the students and the parents saw it. They saw that and and I think that that dissonance is valuable. It was it's mm-hmm. it stinks that they had to go through that experience and it stinks mm-hmm. that um that that was the brand of online learning that um uh, w- was the model that was projected. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing I think is that it's an opportunity for us to have a conversation about what learning really is, because it's not the queen of the realm. Isn't the content, right? It's, right. it's, it, I mean, it is, it is part of it, right. But it is not the thing. It's like, what do we do with the content? It's like, what's the practice around it? Cause like, if we just want to have people list hammers, we can do that. You know, we can well, have some
0: like, people. Some people.
1: I can't do it, but you have done it right. masterfully. Yeah. But Thank if that's what we want them to do, and we want them to just put that into you know, a box where it automatically checks to see whether they've, na- like they've you know, spelled it correctly and they've yeah. listed all of them, then, because that's the, I, and I, I might be you know, kind of minimizing some of it, but in the same sense, I think this was some of the experiences that our students were having, is that that was literally read something, enter some questions, check, 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 move on you know and it, it's it's it shows that the content is front and center and it's so abstracted from any practice and mm-hmm. it is an experience that few enjoy yeah
0: and this this goes back to our what we were saying about all these you know masterclass and and right. academy yes. and all these things is is what they do is they deliver content right they deliver deliver to you knowledge like it's a like it's a, a dump truck full of you know, mulch uh-huh. that they're going to back up and dump in your driveway and then you got to spread it around. Right. So this, this idea um, that, you know, for me, the thing that, that I think about is, you know, we talk about discourse a lot, but one, another word that works well there that actually I think has an important implication is dialogue. Right. Right. Which is that one of the key things about learning or any good process is um, that there's, that there's, responsiveness. Dialogue means two people. Like this is the thing about Masterclass or Khan Academy or any of these places is they're, they're unidirectional, right? There's only one person that's really doing anything. And that's arguably the person on the screen, right? And even they aren't really doing anything because they recorded it. So there's no interaction. There's no back and forth. There's no dialogue, right? Um, and if you aren't talking if, if and you aren't talking with someone, then the amount that you learn goes down. A lot. Um, So so the idea of dialogue, you know, because that is the social practice, that is where the practice happens is in these dialogues between individuals. And so so moving moving uh, practice, teaching practice uh, towards dialogue, towards talking with each other to not to each other um, is is incredibly important. And that and is grounded in these, you know, these sociocultural notions of learning.
1: So I think that really does a good job of, of explaining why, why teachers should care. Right. I mean, I think that, you know, it, it presents it from a bunch of perspectives. One it talks about it like globally, right. It talks about it from, you know, what a teacher does in their classroom and what it means for the students in their classroom and what it means for the classroom space. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I think it gives, it gives us a bunch of perspectives. And I think, you know, from my point of view, you know, it, you know, this is how I would sell it to my students, my future teachers that I work with. You know, yeah. um, is there something something else that's on your list?
0: Um, I I have something that um, is a quote from a book I read, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read this if that's okay. So this may initially feel unrelated, but I, hopefully it'll sound related um, by the time I finish it. So this this is um, from a book called "Say What You Mean" by Oren Sofer. So he's a he's a a Buddhist meditation teacher, and also um, studies and teaches nonviolent communication. Um, and I'm reading a book of his, you know, for my own edification. But while I was reading it, I came across this quote that he said, um, or that he has in the book, that I really liked, um, and I've been using it now with my pre-service teachers. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just read you this because I think it really gets at the at the core of what we're what we're talking about. So he said, we need to learn how to re-perceive our world with fresh eyes beyond inherited historical and economic stru- uh, structures of competition and separation that can so easily determine our relationships. And here's, here's the real part for me. So true dialogue is more than the mere exchange of ideas. It is a transformative process based on trust and mutual respect in which we come to see another in new and more accurate ways. So for me, if you think about teaching that way, if you think about my job as a teacher is not an exchange of ideas. It is to engage in a transformative process based on trust and mutual respect with someone else. And those that someone else is one of your students in any given moment or a group of your students at any given moment. Right? So for me, that, that, fundamentally gets at the difference between what sort of more cognitive theories think about and more sociocultural theories think about.
1: That's really powerful. And I think that's a good place for us to, to end this, this part of our conversation, put that, we're, we're going to definitely put that in the yeah. show notes because Absolutely. I think that, you know, you'll probably want to, you know, reference that. If you're yeah. a listener out there, you might be like, Hey, that's a good thing for me to, you know, send to some colleagues or, or something. Yeah. yeah, that's
0: great. Cool. So, and, who's, and who's the author, Orin Oren Sofer. I think Oran he has, a, I think it might be Oren J. Sofer or something, but, um, I don't remember his middle name, but Oren Sofer is, um, is the author and yeah, we'll put it, um, we'll put it in notes, but yeah, he, he, um, he is a meditation teacher. That's how I came upon him first. But, um, but this book is, is something he published relatively recently. I think it's like 2019 or something. And uh, awesome. yeah, so good stuff. And speaking of good stuff, do you have any joys to share this week, Holly? I
1: I do. This this is um, we just recently got back from uh, a trip to Cape Cod, and and you know. So one of the things I like to do when I travel is, is find nearby bike trails. So this is one of the things I, Mm. I try to do. I've been, I always talked about trail link, one of the apps I use. And Mm -hmm. so when I go to an area, I go, okay, what are the, what are the uh, rails to trails, bike trails in this area? And Cape Cod has a ton of them. We didn't bring our bikes. um, Mm -hmm. So what we did was we rented bikes and and so my my wife bought a bike a few years ago and i had honestly never ridden it um she bought an an electra townie and this mm-hmm. is sort of a cruiser so these are like different styles of bikes if you're not a bike person um, they 're hybrids, which are kind of like road bikes, but also kind of off road bikes then mm-hmm. they 're trail bikes and you know and then there 's these things cru- cruisers, which are big wheeled things and they, they actually have fat tire ones they 're like almost like hybrid um, uh, the, you know cruisers on steroids right we're like yeah, really yeah. big tires and, and things so you know the cruisers are like kind of beach bikes you know you see them a lot they have the really wide uh, handlebars and so we rented four townies on uh on Cape Cod and biked um on some of the uh rail trails there. And I have to say that, you know, we bought my wife one of these bikes a few years ago and I'd like I said never ridden one, but I am thoroughly impressed they're awesome it was an awesome i mean it's it was a leisurely ride you know it was kind of like i was with the kids and they don't bike very often nearly not nearly as much as my wife and i do um but it was just like a little seven speed cruiser so the Electra town if you're looking for if you're like out there now i'll say they're you know they're kind of pricey they're a little pricey um Mm -hmm. but you get what you pay for and these bikes are really solid they're they're great bikes and come in lots of cool colors but you know we're riding around on on cape cod in these townies just just enjoying it and it was um it was a little hilly in a couple sections um nothing like r- really like i mean we were climbing mountains or anything like that yeah, yeah, but in this little seven speed i was wondering how it was gonna like because i my I, my 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 bike is like a twenty one speed hybrid, Mm -hmm. Um, and you know that gets me through almost everything, right? Like, like I can if I need to do a little off roading, I can do that, right? I'm not like going on trails or anything like that, Mm -hmm. like off road trails. But the Townie was really impressive. It was a joy to ride. Little seven speed did everything it needed to do, and uh, yeah, I wanted to sing its praises. The Electra Townie,
0: nice. There's probably a ten month waiting list for them. Are there? Well, I would guess. Like every time I like I was in my um my local bike shop um the other day getting my bike repaired and and I maybe I didn't tell this story, but there were five bike boxes in there. And I was like, Oh dude, that's awesome. You got some new bikes. He's like, I ordered these in January. These are the only five bikes I'm gonna get from the company, and they're already purchased. Like wow, they're already spoken for. So they can't keep bikes in bike stores right now. I mean, even used bikes are hard to get a hold of. So it's crazy
1: for those of us who have been biking for a while. Welcome. Right? right. Welcome. Welcome. Cause it's a, it's a great ride, you know,
0: yeah. no pun intended.
1: No, no pun intended.
0: All right. So, um, so my thing that is bringing me or br- brought me joy recently that I just finished was, uh, it's a book, um, and it's ostensibly a YA book, um, but it's, uh, you know, as many YA books have done since Harry Potter days, it's transitioned into sort of a broader appeal. Um, so this one is called A Deadly Education by Naomi Novik. Um, and it has a lot of the Harry Potter vibe. It's a magic. It's a magical world. Um, uh, and... It, It's it's uh, it's got, you know, magical world set in a mundane world um, and it's got it's a school, um, but it departs in a lot of ways from that. It's a very um, it sort of posits this world where uh, where wizards, especially young wizards, are in danger from these um, maleficent sort of magic eating creatures that are come in all different shapes and sizes and are constantly trying to kill wizards. Um, And so wizards have to protect themselves. So one of the ways they protect themselves was to build this school that's in this sort of void dimension, Um, but they, they couldn't build it perfectly. So a lot of the a lot of the um, story of the school is about how the students sort of protect themselves from these creatures. And it's really, um, it's a really interesting book, but it's a great read. It's, it's not a long book. The second one's coming in September. So it's going to be at least a three part series, I'm sure. But it's, a, it's, you know, if you want, if you're going to the beach or sitting by the pool and you want something to read that, that is not going to be a major challenge to your epistemology, um this this one's you, a, but... this one's a good read. It's just basic uh fun and you know I read it in a couple of days. It's it's but it's good stuff.
1: Yeah, I'll have to check it out cuz I'm I we're heading to the beach in a few weeks and it's something yeah. I'm looking for some books to take.
0: So. Good. Yeah, I I I strongly recommend it. It's good stuff.
1: Yeah, that's that's one of the things I I am a little ashamed to to say oh, is oh. I've never read any of the Harry Potter books. Oh. That is, you should be ashamed. I think, uh, frankly, ne- from my point of view. Well, the the rest of the family have my wife. She read them as soon as they were coming out. She was on them. Yeah. Um, my kids both read them, and it was just never something that I I got into. I think at at the point where they they became popular, I was you know sort of um, being a contrarian, possibly. Oh,
0: oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: You know? I, so there's that. Yeah. But
0: well, I don't know if this will be your Harry Potter, but um but it's it's solid and and she uh Naomi Novik had, had a series before that um that was about dragons in the Napoleonic era that was fantasy, you know, fantasy stuff that was not I don't think explicitly YA anyway. It was it was just fantasy. So, um yeah, there she's I mean she's a great author. Um she the the story is is, you know, really well written. Um, and, and it's a fun little world, right? I mean, it's, uh, yeah, that's cool. That's awesome.
1: All right. So All right. there we are joys and why teachers should care about learning theory. And, yeah.
0: And hopefully we've convinced you and completely changed your thinking on. learning yes. theory. Yeah. Right. Tran- you've transformed.
1: And I hope it brought you joy. Oh, oh that's nice. Uh, yes. All right. Yeah. That's, uh, uh puts a, yeah. Yeah, it? we period we
0: sh- yeah we shouldn't have said anything after that we should have yeah. just said that's it for us yeah episode see 46 see you next time in between yeah.
1: see ya